Good morning, family. It's wonderful to see you today. Haven't you been enjoying the rain that we've been receiving over the last week? Aren't we thankful to the Lord for the rain? Praise the Lord for that. I'm going to share a short testimony with you. Uh, I don't know how many of you were here on the 20th of August when we had Dwayne White minister here. And at the end of the service, something quite remarkable happened where people just, in a sense, spontaneously started bringing money to the stage. How many of you can remember that Sunday? And the whole of the front of the stage here was lined with, with money. In the end, when we counted it all, it was 30,000 rand that was just spontaneously given on that morning. And uh, I said on that morning that we, we felt a bunch of us just quickly got together and we felt uh, in unity that that money was to be given as a seed. You know, the scripture says, God gives seed to the sower. And uh, we felt that that money was not for us to use just for our purposes, but it perhaps was a seed that we could give to somebody else. And so in a time after that, we prayed together um, and we felt the Lord say to us that the area that he wanted us to sow that money into particularly was in the feeding of children. And uh, so we contacted some of our uh, uh, ministries that we work with, our partner ministries, and, and we went and spent some of the money, uh, all that money we spent in that time to help in different situations where, where we had relationships and where we knew the money would go to helping the, the children and feeding of children. And, and uh, so a testimony was brought back to us on that giving, and I want to share that with you so that you can see how the Lord's goodness happened in that situation. One of our partner ministries that we work with is Telopele, run by Colin and uh, Denise Dredge, and uh, they empower the, the poor and the homeless by building self-esteem and developing independence one step at a time. They share their training resources with other organizations working in the same area. On a particular Wednesday, just shortly after the 20th, they were at called to a meeting uh, at the medical clinic in their area where they were told, and it was discussed with them, that there's been a sudden spike in malnutrition amongst the 0 to 2 year olds in that area, and um, in the village children in that area, and that they needed special formula and food to counteract the spike that they had in this situation developed. While they were in the meeting, the phone rang, and it was Garth from our IMD department that phoned them to ask if they had any specific need that the church could help with and give money into. Um, we, they told us, they told Garth of the situation, and we then promptly went and gave them the money, and that money was then able to buy that, that formula that they needed to deal with that situation and help the children that were facing the situation of malnutrition. So they write this and they say just, God already knows our needs and he has already provided the solution. God has always supplied for our needs and has always been gracious to us. God the Father may not let us know before the time, but he is never late. Isn't it wonderful to hear a testimony like that? And thank you for those of you that gave on that day and we know that that seed is going to be a seed that will be multiplied and continue to grow as, our, as we bring the gospel in its practical and in spiritual ways to this city that we love so much. We know that we live in a world where there's so much need. And uh, of late, I think we've all noticed all the natural disasters that's been going on and uh, how many communities and places that have been affected by it. And, 
in some of those places that have been affected by it, we have relationships. And in Texas, for instance, you know Dwayne and a lot of the people, and we've been communicating with them. And we also actually sent a bit of financial help to them just to say we're thinking of you. And, you know, we can pray for any natural disaster that we see that happens anywhere in the world. And, and we do that. And we pray and we stand with those people. But it's different when you know people in those areas and there's relationship. And then sometimes you can do a little bit more uh, and just be a bit closer to it because you know people. And uh, we're aware of just a situation that happened in Mexico of late. You know, the, the, the earthquakes that happened on the 8th of September. First, there was an 8.1 magnitude earthquake. And then on the 19th of September, 7.1 on the Richter scale magnitude earthquake. And uh, officials in Mexico City have raised the death toll to 366 people already that have been affected. And obviously, there's so much more damage and that has happened. And this morning, we have in our midst the military attaches from Mexico that are visiting with us with their families, General, General, General Geronimo Lopez and Colonel Rogelio Casas that are with us this morning. And I'd like them to stand and I'd like us as a community to pray, to use them as a point of prayer to pray for Mexico in this time. If you don't mind, it would be wonderful for you to stand with us. And if there's anybody else, I know we've got... Yeah, let's... If there, are, if there are any others, I know we've got other Mexican people with us, if they can stand, and anybody else that is from that part of the world or has family there, and we want to just pray with you and trust God for His provision and His care for you in that time. If they, why don't you stretch out your hands to them and let's just, just pray for them. Father, we come together in times like this. And it's, it's easy for us to to feel the heaviness of situations like this, Lord, and to see the experiences, to watch the news, and to have some idea of what people must be going through and the loss and the fear and the trauma, Father. But it's hard for us sometimes because we feel detached from it. But today, Lord, it's our privilege to pray for Mexico. Thank you for these families that are with us today. Lord, and we, we want to lift them up in prayer today and in that way lift up the whole nation of Mexico, Father. And we want to stand with them in the Spirit, Lord, and we proclaim over Mexico, God is good. God is good. Like we've just heard this testimony, Father. God is good. And Father, we pray that this event in this nation, we know, Lord, that you are a master at turning all things around. And working even the most horrible things and making it to become something good and to let good come out of it. Father, and we pray today that in Mexico there would be good that would come out of this event, Father. We pray for restoration for people. We pray for comfort for those that have lost loved ones, for those that have lost homes and property and have severely experienced the damage, Father, who perhaps are now left with very little. We pray for them, Father, and we pray that they would experience your kindness, your grace, and your goodness towards them. We lift up your name and we say, you are the God of the nations. You are the God of every man and you love every nation and every person. And you have good things in store for us. So we pray and we speak your goodness into that situation and into that nation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us this morning. We really appreciate it and that we have the right privilege to pray with you. We 
There will be some Mexican food and things on sale outside the service afterwards if you want to support them in that and, and, and just use that opportunity even to minister into that area. And, uh, but we continue to pray and stand with people that are struggling in these times in all these different things. I want to share a message with you this morning that I've entitled God's Tape Measure. And uh, in a sense, I want to pick up a little bit from where Neil spoke last week and, and just unpack that a little bit more and take it perhaps in a slightly different direction. But talk about how does God measure our lives? Does God measure our lives? Do you think God measures your life? Do you think God has a standard for your life? Some way that He checks up your progress and that He measures you. Now, it's interesting for me if I just sort of think over the Scripture how often the Scripture refers to measuring. The third word in the Bible is a measuring word, in the beginning. The beginning describes a measurement. God measures time all over Scripture, right from there on. The, the story of, of the creation happens in six days. It's measured for us in time. If you think of the flood, the, the rain that fell, the, the 40 years in the desert, if you think of all the, so many of the stories in the Scripture, there's, there's a time measurement that is so often provided for us. Not only does God measure time, He also measures dimensions, height, width, length, it, have you picked up in Scripture how many times it refers to measurement of something of that nature? Think of where the ark was built. Neil spoke about it last week, how Noah had to build this boat and nobody had done it before. God didn't just, you know, download a photo onto Noah's phone and say, build something like this. He, he sent him the measurements. He gave him exact measurements. This is how you build the boat, this long, this wide. Think of the temple, when Solomon built the temple. And with David, God gave them specific measurements. This is how big it must be. Even in Ezekiel 42, when it talks about the, the new temple, the eternal temple, it gives us measurements of the temple. It's surprising that even when God talks about the new Jerusalem, heaven, in Revelations, He gives us measurements, quite specifically. It appears to me that when God does something, He does it quite specifically. It's not often that you'll see God just say, ah, oh, you know, just do something and whatever, it's fine. There seems to be that he's always got an idea in his mind, and he wants that idea to be done in a specific way, and, and how he wants things done is how he wants things done. And he communicates measurements to people. I'm going to read you a couple of verses that are starting quite general in terms of measurement, and then comes a bit more closer to home. In Isaiah 40, verse 12, the scripture says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales. Here it tells us, and I know this is a, a picture that it's creating for us. I don't think God literally you know, measured the waters of the world in his hand. Perhaps he did that. I don't know. But it gives us this measurement idea, scale of how big God is. Imagine, just think of that picture. God creating the earth and, and he pours out or, or speaks, let there be water. And he fills the hollow of his hand with water and he says, that's how much uh, the, the earth is going to need. And then he pours it out on the earth. Wow. If that doesn't impress you, I don't know what will impress you. Imagine the galaxies whom we know has no end. It just keeps on going and going, but God measured it by the breadth of his hand. He says, oh, that's how much galaxy we need. Wow. 
He uses measurement to communicate to us. He measures time. In Ecclesiastes, this well-known scripture, 3 verse 1 says, there's an appointed time for everything. God measures out time and he allocates time to certain things. He says, there's a time for this to happen. There's a time for this reality, for this dynamic. He measures times. There is a appointed time for everything and there is a time for every event under heaven. Because we live in a physical universe with time dimensions and physical dimensions, God deals with us according to the reality that we understand, and He measures out things. A little bit more specific, Acts 17 verse 26 says the following, from one man He made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Now think about that scripture a little bit. Free will, sovereignty of God, it gets a little bit interesting to think about those ideas. But God measures. If you read the Scripture continuously, you find all over the Scripture that God applies measurements. Not only does God measure time, God measure dimensions, I think the Scripture makes a strong case that God measures us. That He has measurement instruments against our lives. I think Jesus refers to this idea in the parable of the talents. Remember the story of the parable of the talents that Jesus told, of the, of, the, of the master that was going away and he needed others to look after his property. So he called three guys and he said, to the one I'm going to give you five, to the one I'm going to give you two, to the one I'm going to give you one. And he said, I'm going to go away. When I come back, I want back what I've given to you. So when he gets back, he calls them to account and he measures what they've done. And uh, the first one comes and he's doubled what was given. The second one doubled and he's very happy, the master, because they, they're living up to the measurement. The last one comes and says, you know, I know you're a hard task master. I know that you, 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 know, you, you take from where you didn't even plant and, and, and I was afraid to lose the one that you gave me so I, I hid it, but here it's back. I, I looked after it well. The problem was he didn't live up to the measurement because the expectation was higher than one. And the master says to him, you wicked and slothful, lazy servant. Now this is a harsh story. It's almost hard to think that Jesus told this story. But this is a story Jesus tells where he uses measurement. Think of the situation in John 15, verse 2. On the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, in that week of the Passion, Jesus speaks to his disciples. And in verse 2 of John 15, he says the following, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, how do you know if a branch doesn't bear fruit? You inspect it. Because God is interested in fruit, He inspects fruit. I don't think it's a good idea that we become fruit inspectors, but God is a fruit inspector. He checks up on our lives. He, he, he checks up, up on us over seasons and He sees, is this, is this branch of mine bearing fruit? The scripture says if over a prolonged period of time, and there's another parable of the same nature, where the tree didn't bear fruit and the master said, cut it off. And then somebody said, no, 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 give it another season. We'll work with it. But the idea is there's a measurement. And the master comes in this, the, 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 the vine dresser has to cut off. And even if the tree is bearing fruit, the scripture says, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. There's a sense of expectation that comes from a sense of measurement. We measure all day long. Every one of us, we measure in our lives. Some of us measure the amount of food we eat. 
I can't understand how people want to live like that. It just doesn't feel like it's a very nice thing to do. We, we measure our sleep time. We measure our speed. We measure everything we do. There's measurements to it. We've got numbers. We've got scales. We've got all sorts of ways that we measure our lives. And we measure in order to know, am I moving forward or am I losing ground? Am I achieving something or am I failing? Am I, am I getting closer or am I losing distance? We all measure all the time. And I think, if I understand the scripture correctly, God measures us for the same reasons. To see if we are moving forward or if we are falling behind. I think Paul understood this. I'm going to read for you 2 Corinthians 10 from verse 12 to 16. I'll break it into bits and just make a comment in the middle. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 12, Paul speaks and he writes the following. For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to each of us as a measure to reach even as far as you. Now what is Paul saying when he's talking about this? Paul is facing a difficulty, as we understand, that there are people around of the day, other spiritual leaders that call themselves, or Paul calls them, the super apostles. They think they are, according to the measure of the kingdom of God, they are doing the job perfectly right. They are giving themselves a hundred out of a hundred on the score of doing kingdom work. While at the same time, they give Paul a fail mark. They say, Paul, he's not really an apostle. He's not really doing what God has asked him to do. He's not really living up to the kingdom measure. He's not really, you know, holding true to what the kingdom expects. He's failing, his pass rate is unacceptable. And one of the reasons they say, it seems, that, that they prove to say that Paul is not living up to the standards is, look how often he's left for dead. Look how many shipwrecks he's been. Look how he's suffering. Look how terrible his life is. It's a sign that God's blessing is not on his life. He is failing and not making the grade in terms of kingdom standards. Now Paul responds to this. And essentially what he's saying is, he's, he says, it's very easy to compare yourself to yourself. In other words, it's very easy to set up for yourself that which you already achieve as the objective. And to say, because I'm already doing it, I am successful. Let me tell you a story that illustrates that. I don't know if you've heard the story about the prince. who was well known in his kingdom as the best archer. He won every competition, everybody in the land respected and feared his archery abilities. So one day as he was traveling through his kingdom, he was having a time of refreshment, lunch, at a tavern next to the road. And as he was sitting having his meal, he noticed across the road, into the field across the road, there was a barn. And on the barn were painted a whole bunch of targets, you know, circles with a bullseye in the middle. And in every one of those targets, there was an arrow smack bang in the middle of the bullseye. And he thought, wow, how can it be that in my kingdom there could be an archer of that skill and I don't know about him? Who is this person that will challenge my reputation? So he started asking around in the area, whose barn is that? Who is shooting those arrows so accurately? Who is so proficient at archery? And eventually he discovered it's a boy. A little boy said, it's me, sir. So he's like flabbergasted. How is it possible? He's practiced all his life 
And he's nowhere near as good as this, as this boy is. He says, show me, son, how do you do this? So the boy takes up his little bow and arrow, and he stands a little way from the barn, and he lets go of an arrow, and he shoots it into the side of the barn, big barn. Nowhere near a target. And the little boy runs up to the barn. He gets something out from behind a, a rock. It's a tin of paint with red paint. And he dips his brush, and he paints the, the, the target around the arrow. And he says, it's easy, sir. Isn't that what we sometimes do in our lives? We, the things we already hit, we say, that's what you need to achieve. That's success. We measure ourselves by ourselves. What a useless exercise. We take our best and we say, that is what should be done. And then we actually do it with other people. We say, because I'm good at this, everybody else must be good at this. And if they're not, they're failing. You know, it's like me saying, everybody that's not 1.76 centimeters, uh, meters tall, sorry, 1.76 meters tall is either too short or too tall. Because I'm 1.76 meters tall. So that's the perfect height, because it's, I've already achieved it. We do that. That's what Paul says to these guys. He says, you take what you do and you make that the absolute standard, but I will not be measured by you. I will not fall into that same trap of providing for myself the comfort of thinking I'm achieving what I should be achieving. I'm using a different measure, Paul says. I've got another measure. You are using a subjective measure that suits you, that mollycoddles you and makes you feel like you're actually achieving something. But let me tell you the measure I use to measure myself against. And then he proceeds to tell them what that measure is. He does it in language that is a little bit hard to understand, but I want to read it for you in any case. 2 Corinthians 12, 10, he carries on. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you. For we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ. Not boasting beyond our measure, that is in other man's labors, but with the hope that as far as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere. Enlarged even more by you so as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you and the boast in which it has been accomplished in the sphere of another. What is he saying? What is the measure Paul is using to measure his progress in the, in, in, in the kingdom against? He's using a simple measure, the Great Commission. Jesus said, you will go preach the gospel, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That's Paul's scale that he's holding up. It's like he's got a, a line against the wall. And he says, on that side, that's where we started, Jerusalem. And some of us, our job is to preach the gospel in Jerusalem. Some of us, it's Judea. Some of us, it's Samaria. But because of what God spoke to me, Paul, which has been confirmed by the leaders of the church and everybody understood, remember they said, set aside for me, Paul and Silas, so that we can go to the Gentiles. Our mark is the uttermost parts of the earth. That's our destiny. That's our measurement. Are we there yet? And he says, mine specifically, if you knew Paul's life, what, what was Paul's destination? What, where was the place that Paul would not rest until he got there? Rome. For him, Rome was the objective. And he said, until I get to Rome, I will not rest. 
I will go through shipwrecks. I will be left for dead. I will starve. I will be stoned. I will do whatever I have to. But until I have reached that measure, I am not fulfilling what God has called me to do. That is my objective. So he says to these super apostles, you can measure yourself by the measurements that you want to measure yourselves by. This is my measurement. Don't judge me according to your measurements. I stand by God's measurement. Therefore, he writes in Philippians 3, verse 12, the following words. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. If I measure myself according to the line, I realize I'm not there yet. I can't rest yet. I've got a ways to go. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. In other words, I can't rest on, the, on what we have achieved already. I can't rest and say, well, at least we've come so far. Wow, at least we've done so much. He says, I can't do that. Reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What an amazing life of purpose and destiny. A clarity of understanding that says, that is my expectation. That is what I will be measured against. Now, there were other measurements in Paul's lives also. But in terms of his mission, that was his measurement. And he was clear about that and he measured himself. He, he dared, he had the audacity, the strength of character to measure himself according to that all the time. You see, I think sometimes we, we forget that God has a plan with our lives. We think things like the promises of God are nice to have, are things that it would be great if they can come to pass, but if they don't, it's okay. But God sets an expectation. God has a desire for us. Romans 12, verse 3. Paul again, he writes, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. We spoke about this a while ago. But to think as to have sound judgment, to measure correctly, as God has allocated to each a measure of faith. The word measure in this sentence means a limited portion or a part of a whole. What he's saying is, we as the church of the Lord Jesus have a job to do. We, there's an expectation on us. God is asking of us to do something. But in order to do that, we each need to lay hold of the portion that has been given to us. No one of us can achieve the job in our lifetime. No one of us can do what God has called us to do. And God doesn't expect that of us. But He has allotted grace to each of us for the portion we are supposed to do. Each of us. I heard Ed Delft, we preached here in July. I don't think he said it here, but I heard him say this. He said, we each have a measure of faith so that together we can have faith without measure. We each have a measure of faith, so that together we can have a, a faith without measure. I think there's real truth in that statement. Each of us has been allotted 
a portion, an expectation. Ephesians 4 verse 7, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Each one of us, that's what Paul says, you, every one of us, me, every one of us that lives on this planet, God created us for a purpose. And he gifted and allocated for us what we needed for that purpose. He says, I knitted you together in your mother's womb. We understand that God dreamt us. He, he thought of us before he even created us. But when he created us, he didn't just, you know, it wasn't just some cookie cutter, just what comes out. He knitted you. Think, see that picture of a loving God sitting with you, forming you, shaping you. He's got a picture in mind that he says, this is what I've got in store for you. This is your part. This is your purpose in the kingdom. And now I'm going to shape you for that purpose. And then he adds gifts and abilities. He adds faith. He adds grace. He gives you everything you need so that you can do that which he has called you to do. But we cannot forget that each of us has that privilege for something that we need to attain. I remind myself often that one day the scripture says, I'm going to stand before the Father. And he will take the measuring tape and he will hold it up against my life. And he will measure me. Whether I have lived up to his expectation of my life or not. Now you think, hey, hang on. I thought this is a grace church. I thought we, we believe that we don't earn our salvation by works. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not talking even about winning God's love because it's interesting, I'll read you the scriptures just now, that the one thing that the scripture says has no measure is the love of God. He loves you without measure. It's got nothing to do with that. He's, he's not measuring us for the purposes of his love. The scripture does say though, every man's work will be tested as with fire. I believe there's gonna come a day where I will stand before the Father and he will say to me, you are my son. That's settled. It's taken care of. Jesus paid the price. My salvation, my destiny is secured in heaven. But then he will say to me, but I created you for a purpose. I invested in you. I placed in you everything for this purpose. Let's see how you achieve the purpose. Because ultimately I understand I can't achieve the purpose. So let me use an illustration to perhaps bring across the point and Use a measuring system that we perhaps may be all familiar with that I think all of us have gone through. And that's what the measurement they use at school. You know, when you go to school, let's think about high school. And you start at high school as a little grade eight. In most schools, their parents have to go buy you a blazer. And they give you a blazer and it looks something like this. Very clean. It has the school emblem on it, the badge, and then nothing else. It's clean. And then the, the teachers work with you, the coaches, sports coaches, the drama department, whatever they, the school offers, they work with you, and they start investing in you. And then every year they have award ceremonies where they've applied measurements. Every school has its own policy and its own measurement system. Some is provided by the government, some you know, have their own internal things when it comes to sport and whatever. So if you've got national colors or provincial colors or some achievement that you got, at the awards evening what will happen is they'll give you a scroll. In Afrikaans we call it a bulky. 
They'll give you a scroll, and they put it here under the badge, and some of them are gold-colored, and some of them are silver, and so they will measure your progress throughout school. If you do well enough academically, you can get an academic scroll. If you do well in sport, you get a sports scroll, and so it carries on. And this you wear when you're at school or when you're at functions, and it sort of visibly tells people your progress through your school career, and it's a testament of the measuring of your life in terms of school career. It's really terrible. For people like me that got nothing, that went my whole school career without one badge on added to my school blazer. And this is not my school blazer, but this is actually the school I went to. My blazer looked exactly like this when I finished matric. I, I was, you know, because I was concerned for my parents, they didn't have a lot of money, so I didn't want to waste their money and, you know. And, and who cares about scrolls on your, on your blazer? And, ah, it's just nonsense. It's for the nerds, man. Nobody really cares about that. Hey? But if you do well at school, you hope to finish your school career with a blazer that looks more something like this. And this is not even a particularly, I mean, I know kids that have got some on the back already. There's no more space. They've got some on the inside. But you want to end your school career with a blazer that you can wear with pride, that says, I've got full colors. I'm a national champion in something. I've got full colors for leadership, for other things that I excelled in. And you can wear this blazer and go to functions and people can say, hmm, You know, and parents can go, wear that blazer a little bit more often, you know. <laughs> Cost us a lot of money. But that's how in our school careers we go. And we achieve. And because of our achievement, opportunities get opened up to us. And life becomes a little easier as we go. Now, I wonder if that's the same way the kingdom of God works. That when you get born again and you just get saved... You've joined the club, you're part of the kingdom, so you get a, a blazer that says, I am a child of the king. And now, God will work in my life. And as he works with me, I'm going to start earning distinctions and awards and merits in the kingdom. Is that how the kingdom of God works? I don't think so. I think what happens in the kingdom of God is the day you get born again, God puts this blazer on you. He says, this is your story. This is you. This is my plan, my purposes, my dreams for you. It's all of these things. Right when you get born again. God says, Paul writes it in Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Before you were created, God already dreamt your merit badges. He already had a purpose in mind for you. And when you stepped into the kingdom, God says, you are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. He gives you this. This is the grace. You see, because I understand that forget about this blazer, I don't even deserve this blazer. I don't even earn this blazer. I can't earn this because I can't even earn this. But God gives me what I do not deserve. 
He gives me opportunities. He gives me the, 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 the privilege to achieve things. Not things that other people should achieve, but this is my blazer. It doesn't fit anybody else. It doesn't belong to anybody else. It, you can't share it. This is mine. I was made for this. But now as I begin my life and I'm a new believer and I'm wearing this, now I have to start living into it. That's why it says, God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. It becomes my privilege now to allow the Spirit of God to do His work in me so that I become what this tells who I am. What this says I am, I become this in practice and in reality by the Spirit of God. Now, nobody else can see my blazer. Only God can. Because only God sees perfectly from the beginning to the end. And He will not show this to anybody else, not even your parents, because we'll mess it up. He'll not show it to you because perhaps we'll get full of pride or perhaps we'll get so afraid we'll run away or whatever the reason may be. Only God knows what this is. But He puts it on you. And then he says, now let me work with you. Let me walk with you. Let me strengthen you. Let me build your faith. Let me build your character. Let me build your skill. Let me help you. Let me do, let me shape your life so that you will become that which I created you to be. In Ephesians 4, Paul says the following. You can read the whole portion, but he says, we grow, we are to grow up in all aspects. We grow into what God had provided for us by His grace. We grow into what has been provided for us. So by grace, I get all of this. I don't deserve it. And I can't do it. There is no way on this planet that I can achieve any of this. It's not possible. But when God works in me, and through me, he does it, and I get the reward for it. Because he created me, he saved me, he equipped me, he builds my faith. What I need to do is just stay with the program. Surrender, submit, practice my faith, practice my disciplines in the faith, and allow him, and all of those things I do, it's to allow him the space to work this in my life. But there will come a day where each of us, if I use this language, and this is an illustration, so please remember an illustration is never perfect and don't go too far with it. But I wonder if there's not a day where, if, it, if, if I use this illustration, we stand before the Father and we each actually get put on this blazer and we look at it and we say, wow, that was actually what God planned for me all along. I sort of thought I stumbled into that. And wow, isn't that amazing that that actually happened in my life? But meanwhile, God knew it long before he created me even. Wow, look at that. And God says, well done. You've lived into what I have planned for you. But that's the measure of God in our lives. And I want to take that point too far. But I don't want us to live our lives just thinking we're on a journey of faith and where we get, we get. And what happens, happens. It doesn't, you know, it's just a journey. As long as we love Jesus and as long as, you know, we're good people, then it's okay. For each one of us, there's a race that has been marked out. 
Neil Red spoke through Hebrews 12 last week, that I will run the race that has been measured out for me. Each one of us, we're running a race, our race, my race. Now, it's not possible for me to complete my race and to succeed in my race on my own. Because I have a measure of grace, but together we have the fullness. I have a measure of faith, but together we have the fullness. We cannot achieve the purposes each on our own. We're like a melting pot where God puts all of us in and He stirs us by the Spirit and He warms us by the fire of His, of His love and His grace. And out of that comes the aroma of the, that is pleasing to this world and that spreads the kingdom of God. But it's in each of us taking ownership and standing in that which God has called us. This all happens in the context of a father that loves you. None of this has anything to do with earning his love. He loves you. Jesus died for you long before you had any interest in God. That settles it. God loves you. He doesn't have to do anything else to prove to you he loves you. If you make it to heaven and this is what your blazer looks like, God will celebrate you. He is happy because he loves you. But there's more that's on offer. Therefore, I want to read for you Psalm 103, just as I end. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. His work of salvation is perfect. It has no limit. His mercies are new every morning. His grace never runs out. There's no measure to the grace of God. As Ephesians 3, verse 16 to 19, tells us there's no measure to His love also. That He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. This is the foundation we stand on. I am perfectly loved. And nothing I do can get me to be loved more or less. I am perfectly loved. That's taken care of. Settled. But because of that, I'm being recreated. And I can now step out in faith and take the risk to become that which God has created me to be. Because I'm secure in His love. I want to encourage you. Can I ask the worship team if you guys will join me? To allow the Spirit of God to be poured out into you every day so that you can be that which He has called you and purposed for you to be. I wonder if you will stand with me just for a moment. According to Paul, we don't measure ourselves against ourselves. It's a useless exercise. We don't measure ourselves against other people. It's a useless exercise. Measuring yourself against somebody else is looking at their blazer and saying, I want that blazer. And then missing out on the one God gave you. None of us can judge one another according to that. Scripture says, judge not in this. I can't judge anybody else's life. 
Because it's my responsibility to go and say, Lord, I need your grace. Because I, like Paul, want to get to where you want me to be. I need you, Lord. I'm desperate for you, Lord Jesus. I'm not just going to live my life and meander along. And where I get is where I get, and that's okay. I want to live your purpose and your plan. Thank you, Lord, for tailor-making a purpose for me. Not somebody else's. Not somebody else's idea, mine, Lord. And thank you that through my life you reveal it to me. Thank you that you don't give it to me up front. But as I journey with you and as I seek, as I put my heart on it, as I desire and ask, you reveal to me. And more and more it unfolds. And I have the pleasure of walking this with you. I can't do this without you, Lord. I can't do this without you. Do you want God's pleasure for your life? There's no judgment in it. There's no pass or fail in it in terms of our standards. All there is is to say, Jesus, I trust you because you love me. Have your way in my life. Can we this morning just open our hearts to the Lord together? If you've never made that decision to say, Jesus, I give you my life. I want to live for you. Then today is an opportunity. God wants to give you your blazer today. God wants to give you what you don't deserve today. You may feel like your life cannot amount to much. You can, may feel like such a failure, like you've missed so many opportunities. I want to tell you, God can do in you His perfect will. He can make you something you've never thought is possible because He'll do what He created you for in the first place. Don't miss the opportunity. Today may be the opportunity where you can come and God can step into your life and say, let me show you what I had in mind for you. Let me show you my perfect plans for your life. I'm going to invite you, if you want to allow Jesus to give you your, your life, your blazer, your colors, then you need to come and say, Lord Jesus, here I am. I give you my life. And a good way to do that is in a church service like this, to come to the front. We've got our pastors here, and they want to just pray with you and help you in that process. It's a prayer. It's not nothing more than that. It doesn't mean you join this church. It doesn't mean anything in regard to that. It means that you say, Lord, here I am. I give you my life. I want to give you opportunity right now. If that's what you want to do today, come to the front. They're going to be with you for a short while. Bring your belongings with you. And let them pray with you. And while people are making their way to the front, I'm going to continue to pray for the rest of us. If you're not coming to the front this morning, but there may be a desire in your heart to say, Lord, I don't want to miss the mark. I don't want to be painting targets around my arrows and fooling myself and thinking that I'm okay. I want you to tell me, Lord. I want you to measure my life because I don't want to miss what you have for me. So right now, Lord, I ask you, speak to me. Speak to me, Lord. And just in this moment, allow the Spirit of God to speak to you. 
Thank you, Jesus. If you become aware that in perhaps you're just a bit off the mark, perhaps you've fallen behind, that's okay. Just say, Lord, help me, and God's grace will come. And He will bring you right where He needs you to be. But it begins with acknowledgement and just saying, Lord, I, I, I need you. Lord, I pray for every person here. Thank you for every person. Every single person in this place that's listening to this message, watching it on YouTube, every single person created by you with perfect plans and purposes, Lord. That you've gifted, that you've enabled to do more than we can even think is possible. And I release, Father, over each person purpose and destiny today in Jesus' name. Sometimes it's a struggle for us to figure out what that is, Lord. But I pray that as we seek that people will hear your voice, will sense your leading, your nudging, your helping, your walking with them. That even when we fail, you are there with us, Lord, and you carry us, you pick us up, you point us in the right direction, and you say, just, adjust, just come with me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for each life that you've created that is so beautiful, that is so precious. And thank you, Lord, that you believe in us. You believe in us, Lord. And that we can have the joy of doing and seeing and being exactly what you have called us to be and do. And we thank you for that. We're going to continue to pray for people as I end the service now. And if you want prayer, come to the front. We want to pray with you. If you just, But I pray that you'll go in the grace of the Lord. That you'll know He loves you. And that you'll allow the Spirit of God to stir in your life and to work in you to get closer to that which He has in store for you. The Lord bless you. We love you very much. Have a tremendous week in God's presence and allow Him to speak to you. The worship team is going to continue to worship for a little bit. If you just want to stay with us and just be in the presence of the Lord, you're welcome to do that. But please come forward to let us pray with you. Let us share with you the love of Jesus in this moment.